Fabulous. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to be here. And it is great to be able to share the Word of God with you. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you uh, for the trust. And thank you that I could be part of a fabulous series you've been doing uh, and continue to do in the book of Genesis. And I've been given an outstanding uh, title today on the miracle of rest. Come on. The miracle of rest. And, and hopefully today we can be encouraged in our faith in understanding, uh, I suppose, a biblical understanding of what rest is. Most of us in the room will think we know what rest is. But it's really important as followers of Jesus that we allow our thinking to be shaped by the Word of God first and foremostly. And then that either helps us with our thinking or even challenges our thinking around some stuff. So we're going to go right, right back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26 and then just nipping into chapter 2. Okay, so it's Genesis chapter 1, and I'll start reading at verse 26, and then it says this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Wow, what a verse. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Story is told of a European traveler going to the continent of Africa, and he wanted to move from one part of the coast to the other, and so had to go across country. He hired some local men, a, a, a local merchant, who gathered together lots of men who would carry the various pieces of equipment of this traveler and all his luggage across this incredible track in the continent of Africa. On the first day, they made incredible progress. And the European traveler was really encouraged. We're, we're going to make this in serious time. However, when they got up to move on the second day, uh, the, the, the European traveler was ready to go. But none of the men that had been hired by him moved. In fact, they all remained sitting on the ground. And so he went to the boss man and he said, hey, why aren't these guys moving? Uh, and, and the reply of the, of the merchant was incredibly important. He says, well, we moved very, very fast on the first day. 
And so the guy goes, of course we did. That's the, that's the plan. We want to we wanna get to where we want to go. He says, well, we move so fast that they are waiting. He says, what are they waiting for? He says, they are waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. The seventh day was created by God to ensure that your soul and your body stayed together. Now, this is absolutely crucially important because when we read Genesis chapter 1, here's what we're subconsciously doing. We're reading that text from the 21st century and we're reading into it that the seventh day is a day off. The seventh day is a day of rest, a rest from work. And that would be sort of an obvious conclusion. But, but here's the problem with that. We are reading backwards into that day instead of traveling back and looking on what actually happened on that day so that we could grab its principles and pull them forward to our 21st century world. Because here's the big idea that I want you to see about the seventh day. The three personalities that are enjoying it, God, the man, and the woman, the three people that are enjoying the seventh day don't actually need it. So let's just think about that for a moment. God creates a seventh day, and then he calls something called rest into that day. Now, later on, that day would get enshrined in the law. It would become known as the Sabbath. Uh, and it would be this idea that one day in seven in our week is devoted to God. But, but before we get there, we mustn't rush ahead or even, even judge this day from where we stand. Let's go back to this very, very first seventh day and recognize an incredible idea. And this is so important for us to understand true dynamic rest, the miracle of rest that we want to dig into. God did not need a rest. He's God. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He's the self-sufficient, self-existing God. Now, it tells us he rested, but he didn't need a rest in, that, in the context of that day. The man and the woman didn't need a rest. They haven't done anything yet. Right? If we're taking the story of Genesis literally, the man and the woman are made on day six. This is now day seven. They haven't actually done anything yet. And yet God is inviting them into rest. So, so if the three people, three personalities, enjoying this first seventh day, this first day of rest, don't actually need a physical rest, then it gives us the clue that this first day of rest is not actually about physical rest. It's about something deeper than that. Now, here's the problem we have. We've just imposed day off with Sabbath, day off with day seven. We've, we've just thought about this idea, okay, God's given us all a day off. Now, of course, that's tucked in there. That's definitely there as an idea, and that's a smart idea. I think even sociologically we're recognizing that's a smart idea to have one day in seven off. But God doesn't need a day off because he's God, and the man and the woman don't need a day off because they haven't done anything yet. So what's going on here? And I want us to recognize something in the rhythm of the chapter, that although this is day seven for God, it is day one for the man and the woman. There's a sense in which it's a culmination, a climax of the week 
for God because he's done all this work of creation in the first six days. But for the man and the woman, there's a sense in which it's not the end of the week, it's the beginning of the week. Now, these are important little clues in this text. The Lord doesn't just want us to rush back, oh, yeah, yeah, day off, got it, boom, okay. No, no, it's much deeper than that. The three personalities don't need the day off. And for one of them, God, it's the end of his week. It's a climactic moment, which points to the idea that the final thing he makes, rest, is the most important thing of the week. Okay? And for the man and the woman, it's the first day of their week. It's God setting them up so that whatever else you do, you've got to do out of this first day. So whatever is happening on day seven or slash day one is really important for humans because the Lord is trying to set something up that they can then take that they're getting on day one and they can travel with it into the rest of their lives. Does that make sense? And it's really important that we go beyond the idea that day seven is a day off. It is much, much deeper. And if you simply reduce the idea of day seven, later on it will be called Sabbath. But if we simply reduce that to a day off, we are missing something absolutely profoundly, fundamentally important if we really want to engage in true rest. Rest is bigger than a day off. It's bigger than not working. There's something deeper and bigger going on here. Hope that makes sense to you. So, so John, okay then, you've convinced us it's not about physical rest. God doesn't need a physical rest because he's God. The man and the woman don't need a physical rest because they haven't done anything yet. Words like exhaustion, fatigue, and stress have not yet been invented as far as humans are concerned. So what is this first day about? What is this miracle of rest? What's going on in this first day of rest that we need to get for the 21st century world. Well, two big ideas. And I hope that these will just sink into our hearts because then these two ideas inform physical rest. These two big ideas will help us to physically rest better. Okay? But they are pre-physical rest ideas. And here we go. Here's the first one. The first big idea in day seven is worship. Worship. Okay? So what's going on here is that, is that the Lord is calling the man and the woman into something on that seventh day. And actually, he's not just calling them into something, he's calling them into someone. He wants them on the first full day they're alive to understand that he has to be at the center of their world. If we were to give a definition to worship, that would be a really cool definition. Worship, however we understand it in a physical sense or a stylistic sense or a practical sense, worship is a very simple idea. Worship is when a human puts Jesus at the center of their world in any given moment. 
So I could be at work and be worshiping. I can be at home and be worshiping. I can be in a church community context like this and be worshiping. Why? Because I am deliberately, intentionally putting Jesus at the center of my world. So when I put the Lord at the center, that becomes an issue of worship. So it can be no coincidence that the very first thing the man and the woman are being called to do is not work. That'll come. There's a whole bunch of work to be done. They've not only got to look after the garden, Eden, a place of delight, quite literally, but, but the implication is they've got to take Eden and replicate that across the earth. So there's going to be lots of work to be done in a minute or two, but before they get to filling the earth, ruling the earth, and subduing the earth, which is their job, God calls them into a place of worship with him. He wants them to understand that worship must always precede our work. Or here's what happens, and that's, let's see if we recognize this. If worship doesn't precede work, then work becomes worship. Now, maybe not for people in this room, but for a lot of people out there, work is everything in the context of their world. Now, now that's why we need this seventh day. That's why we need literally a Shabbat in the rhythm of one and seven, because it challenges the idea that work is my purpose. Work is not your purpose. Worship is our purpose. Amen? It's the church, right? Work is not your purpose. Worship is our purpose. That's the problem. That's the problem. Actually, our world has allowed work to replace him in so many ways. And actually, before they get to work, they are being called to worship. A man called Abraham Heschel wrote a brilliant book called The Sabbath. Now, he's a Jewish, or was a Jewish teacher, right into a Jewish world. But listen to these words. He says, in setting apart the seventh day, here's what he says, it becomes holiness in time. I love that expression. The seventh day was holiness in time, had worship at the center of it. He said, though it is last in creation, it is first by intention. Now, I hope you think about that, and that grabs you. It's last in creation, but first in intention. Uh, now, now, of course, he would, he would drive the idea of Sabbath somewhere where we don't think we need to go. So, so I understand that, but I love this language, that he understands that that day was not simply a day off, but was the creation of holiness in time. God is creating something that the man and the woman can enjoy. And what's he creating? He's creating a context of worship. He's creating a context where the man and the woman can understand that God must be at the center of everything. So before they get to creation, they've got to focus on the creator. Amen? Before they think about their responsibility to God, they're being called to focus on the relationship with God. Come on now. That before they work for him, They are learning to worship him. 
And actually, before they realize, and here's the problem, that Sabbath or that day of rest was for them, who God's given me a day off, a day of rest, actually that first day is teaching them it's not about them, it's about him. Are you with me? You see what's happening there? Now, when we read Genesis casually, it just looks like God's dropping this cool idea, have one day off in seven. And that is a really good, brilliant, physical idea that our society needs to listen to. But it is much, much deeper than that. And here's what I would say to every human who wants to listen to this sort of teaching. No human will find true rest unless God is at the center. So you can have all the days off you want. You can have as many holidays as you can afford. It's not going to give you rest. Come on, are you with me? Because the rest being spoken of here is not simply a physical one. God understands that if I just set humans to work, then they're just going to make work their worship, and they're going to work, 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 work. So before they get to work, I've got to teach them something. I've got to teach them that actually the highest call of a human is not work, but the highest call of a human is worship. John referred to it earlier on. Jesus says to the crowd, come to me. Come to me, he says, and get your rest. And then later on, he said to his lovely disciples, come with me and get some rest. Come to me and come with me. There is an understanding from a Bible worldview point of view that actually we cannot find true rest without centeredness on him and worship, okay? Does that make sense? And that then leads us, that helps us to think about a physical day off. That helps us to think about our physicality and looking after ourselves, but it starts with a centeredness. Worship is about placing the Lord at the center of everything. And actually when we learn to do that, we open the door to true Rest. Entering rest is about centering our lives and entering into worship. So that's the first idea. Second idea is worth. Worth. So worship is God-centered. Worth is showing us that the first humans were valued not because of anything they had done, but because of who they were. Now, we know who they were. We'll get to know them as personalities as the story goes on. The man is named as Adam and the woman gets named as Eve. And you've already covered some of their story and we'll continue to cover that story. But the only thing we know about the man and the woman pre-being named in the Genesis account is what? They are made in the image of God. That makes them intrinsically valuable in their own right. Their value, by the time we get to the seventh day, has nothing to do with their job description. It has nothing to do with their badge. It's nothing to do with their CV. It's nothing to do with their, with their education or their societal position, it is to do with the fact that they are made in the image of God. 
All of us have been impacted by the ethos that suggests our value, our value is completely determined by the extent of our doing and the extent of our success. Is that true? Maybe that's not happening in Bolton. Maybe it's happening somewhere else. But I meet this all the time, that people are seeing their value according to what they're able to contribute, not according to what we are. And can I say the church is as guilty of this as broken society? That, that we can be as guilty of making people feel more valuable because they contribute than people who don't contribute. Now, whether someone contributes or doesn't contribute is a different conversation. It has nothing to do with how valuable you are. It is to do with whether you believe in the local context you're in or not, and whether you're prepared to contribute to that or not, but it doesn't add or detract from your value. If I'm a volunteer in the bridge, my value doesn't go up. If I have a job, my value doesn't go up. If I have a PhD, my value doesn't go up. If I don't have a PhD, my value doesn't go down. If I don't have a job, my value doesn't go down. If I'm sick and I'm, I'm wheelchair-bound or I'm unable to make a contribution to society, my value doesn't go down. Now, it goes down in society. But it doesn't go down in the eyes of God. Why? Because God enshrined a fundamental idea in creation. That before the man and the woman put a single seed in the ground or, or started to work or were able to come to God and say, look what I've achieved. On that first day, they haven't done anything. So what are they doing? Literally, quite literally, they are bringing their naked self to God. Literally. They're buck naked before God. And they've no CV. They've no job description. They've no sort of range of activities that they can point to and say, look, Lord, isn't that impressive? They haven't done anything yet. And yet they are valued. And that is a life-changing idea. Many, many people are struggling to enter into the miracle of rest because they cannot disassociate their fundamental worth as a human with their doing. And I think the lockdown has exasperated that for many, many people. I love what Isaac Greenberg says. He, he writes these words. Listen to these amazing words. Speaking about the idea of rest and Sabbath, he says, in our world, it says, I, he says, I am not I do. If I could do nothing, listen to these words, I would still be me, a person of value. Thus the individual reasserts the primacy of human value and the principle of intrinsic worth of human existence, listen to these words, unjustified by productivity. The ability to stop working in this context the ability to have that day of rest, to step away from work, he says, is therefore an assertion of our inner freedom. And we live in a world that really, really wants to establish this idea that actually 
my worth is in my doing. I've had experiences where I've lost my job or I've had a badge taken off me in the context of ministry. And here's 99% of the time the question people ask. Are you ready? What are you going to do? Why are they asking that? They're asking that because subconsciously, deep down, we have been trained to think about people in the context of their doing, not in the context of their being. And therefore, if you're not doing, actually there's something going on here. I can count on one hand in those moments (laughs) where I've had badges taken off me, where people have asked me, how are you? Because that's a worth question. (laughs) Are you with me? And we live in a world that will say, if you've got a job, you're valuable. If you've got a good job, you're more valuable. If you live in a certain area, you're more valuable. If you can do certain things, you're more valuable. That is not a Bible worldview idea. That is a broken, sin-driven idea. That does not exist in the Scriptures. And God enshrines that idea in Genesis. And he says, if you get caught up with associating your worth with what you do, you will never enter rest. Why? Because you'll never be able to do enough to establish your value system. There'll always be something else you need to do. And the Lord says, doesn't matter what you do, you are valuable. My mother passed away in February. And by the time she came to pass away, she could make very little contribution to her world. And all her life, she'd been a contributor, a giver, a server, a leader in many respects. And here she is reaching the end point of her physical life. She's more alive now today than she's ever been, by the way. But she's reaching the end of her physical life. And she can make very little contribution. And my mother would use words like this. I feel like I am a burden on you. Where's that coming from? Come on. Where's that coming from? That's not coming from this. That's coming from a world that says, if you're not contributing, you're a burden. If you're not giving... You're not valuable. If you're not on your game, we're not interested. But the Bible says that actually if a person reaches a stage where because of illness, incapacity, or circumstances beyond their control, they cannot make a contribution that the world identifies as a valuable contribution, the Lord says that person is still valuable. That person is still worth something. That person is still made in the image of God. So you probably expected a sermon this morning on how to have a day off. But listen, if we're not Jesus-centered, and if we're not worth-orientated, we can never enter rest. Rest will be impossible, even if I have a day off. Even if I have a holiday in the Bahamas. Wherever, wherever we end up, we will never find that rest because this rest is not just about something physical. 
It's about the drivers of humanity. And actually, the two core drivers that God introduces us right at the beginning of the human story is one of God-centeredness, worship, and one of God-createdness, worth. And that's a life-transforming idea. And I want you to see one idea before I close. I don't know if the band, you, wanna, you guys want to join me? Here's an amazing thought about that seventh day. It's the only day in creation that doesn't have a boundary. So if you read the story really closely, it reads like this. Evening and morning, the first day. Evening and morning, the second day. And right up to the sixth day. When it comes to the seventh day, there is no evening and morning. Now, that could be just a coincidence. I acknowledge that. And you can take this idea and drop it in the bin if you want. Take any of my ideas and drop them in the bin. That's entirely up to you. But the fact that there is not a boundary to this day in Hebraic writing, in in people for whom detail was really important. This is not just a slip from Moses. This is not just Moses forgetting to add in evening and morning the seventh day. The boundary, I believe, is deliberately not inserted because that day was never meant to be just a day. Worship wasn't just meant to be something we do on a day. It was, my worth is not something that is just wrapped up in the boundaries of a day or an event or an experience or or a CV. No, no, God is introducing two massive ideas to us that are bigger than a day. And in fact, when humans grab those ideas and we try to grab those ideas through Jesus Christ and through following Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we grab the ideas of worship, not just as a day, but as a lifestyle, a Jesus-centeredness in our lifestyle, when we grab worth, and my worth is bigger than my job, bigger than my badge, bigger than my contribution, bigger than my physicality, bigger than anything John Andrews can muster up for himself, when I grab that, they are life-transforming ideas that then allow me to enjoy a day off. They allow me to be at rest even when I'm not having a day off. They allow me not only to rest from work, which most people do, but I think they allow me to work from rest, which is a Bible idea. So if we come to Genesis 1 and we just slap a big plaster on and say, God wants you to have a day off and that will fix everything. No, it won't actually. Because a day off needs to flow out of the previous six days. Come on, are you with me? And there's some things that a day off, a Sabbath, whatever you want to call it, simply won't fix. Why? Because God is introducing to us deeper, deeper ideas. And when I grab that, my work, because humans weren't created to work. Humans were created for purpose. You weren't made to work. You were made for purpose. Come on. And our purpose, ideally, and this is speaking to a community of faith, our purpose flows out of what? It flows out of our 
God-centeredness, our worship, and it flows out of our worth, our God-createdness, and that leads to a work which is God-commanded. And if we will have the courage to not just rush past this passage and think, day off, but go deeper. If God didn't need a day off, if the man and the woman didn't need a day off, why day seven? Because the Lord was introducing deeper principles, life-changing principles, principles that would literally make true rest, physical rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest, psychological rest, make true rest possible. Because true rest comes from the inside out. It doesn't come from our behavior in, it comes from our belief out. So I want to encourage you. Maybe that you're hearing this sort of stuff for the first time. Maybe you've been a Christian a million years and you've sort of heard this stuff before. Whoever you are, we need to remind ourselves, because I have to remind myself of this every day, that Shabbat, Sabbath, day seven, is not a day. It's a lifestyle that the Lord wants to call me into, a lifestyle where He is at the center and a lifestyle where my worth is not determined by my work. But my work flows out of my worth and my worship. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray. The band are going to lead us in a couple of great songs of worship. We live in a world that is driven 24-7 and has accepted a maxim that seven days a week is not only normal, but doable. These are broken ideas. These will not succeed. These ideas will ultimately crush the spirit of a human that was designed to live in the image of God. And this ancient idea, thousands of years old, calls to us and Shabbat is not simply calling and saying you need a day off you need a holiday Shabbat is calling us to Jesus centric worship lifestyle Shabbat is not simply saying to me John you need to chill out Shabbat is saying to me John your worth has nothing to do with your work that you are worth something. Jesus died for us because we were worth something. Not because we did something. And as we enter into those ideas, may they become transformational for us. And may they lead us to rest. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you were the supreme example of a man at rest. You lived with the Father at the center of your being. And Lord, for years you lived in obscurity in the understanding 
that it was who you are that established your worth. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that that revelation will come to each of us. That Lord, the spirit of Shabbat is not a day, but is a lifestyle. The spirit of Shabbat is not about having time off, but entering into something. And that the spirit of Shabbat is not about what I can do, but it is about what you have done in each of us. And so Lord, I pray, may worship be at the center of our world and may our worth be understood in the context of the image you have created in us and redeemed in us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.